All right, good morning once again. If you will, go ahead and grab your Bible or one of the Bibles in the chairs in front of you and open up to the book of Jude. As we prepare to close out this year, uh, we wanted to bring into focus our desire for the coming year. And with that, I would say if there's a common theme in today's culture, it's this, that a lack of biblical understanding or orthodoxy, knowing the word, um, at least in part, um, knowing what the scripture teaches, um, that's that lack of understanding, which is kind of fueled really by this uh, laziness in our walk with Christ has led our world to be completely infiltrated with false teaching. And so our hope and our desire as your pastors is for you to be rooted in God's word and then to be passionate in your pursuit of him. And so with that said, we'll spend today in Jude as the last Sunday of the year and to hear this call for us as the people of God to contend for the faith. And the main idea that I want us to remember as we work through the book of Jude, and yes, I'm saying the book of Jude, if you haven't made it there yet, you're probably thinking, how in the world are we going to cover a whole book? But if you have made it there, you realize it's only 25 verses. But the main idea for this morning as we work through these 25 verses is that God's people are called and kept in salvation in order to contend for the faith. God's people are called and kept in salvation in order to contend for the faith. And I want to pray for us this morning, and we will dive right in, because even though it is only one short book, we've got a lot of ground to cover. So let's pray together. Our Father, we approach this part of our worship gathering this morning with much humility and gratefulness. Gratefulness that you have given us your word in the scriptures. Grateful that it is infallible, inerrant, inspired, and sufficient for all of life. Grateful that you would see fit to give us such access to your word. And also humbled by the truth that we have your word, the word of God in our hands. So may we not take that for granted in our lives. May we hold fast to your word and the truths we find in it. God, this morning as we work through this short book of Jude, may you bless the reading of your word. May you tear down the walls of personal thoughts and feelings and desires this morning. And may we see the pure truth of your gospel. So that we would be fueled by a passion for your glory. And a passion for studying your word. To be ready in season and out of season. To contend for the faith. 
May our hearts be changed. May our souls be encouraged by the hope we find in your word. And may we be found more zealous for you and your word than ever before. So that we are ready in this day of turning from you to be ready to proclaim the truth that you are the only way, truth, and life. So would you guide our time this morning and by your spirit would you speak. In Christ, good name we pray. Amen. We begin in Jude with the reality that we are to truly contend for the faith. He begins verse 1, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. So we first ask the question, who is this? It tells us that he's the brother of James, but he's actually more than that. He's the brother of Jesus And he's writing this letter as a servant of Jesus Christ, having witnessed the work of God through Christ, having seen the work of Jesus, having experienced the resurrection of Jesus. And now he's writing to the church, to other Christians, who he says are beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus. So those who have been held and who have been saved and held by the grace of Christ. And he says, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. So in other words, may what I'm writing to you extend mercy, peace, and love towards you so that you're ready to go about doing the work that we have been set apart to do. A work that he is very aware of because, again, he's the brother of the Savior Um, the half-brother of the Savior, and he is ready and willing to go and do whatever it takes because he has experienced the work of God in Jesus, namely the death and resurrection of Christ. And he goes into verse 3, he says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. In other words, what he's telling us right off the bat is that his hope was actually to write to rejoice in the common salvation they have, to rejoice in the salvation they have in Jesus. Now, when he says common salvation, what he's referring to is this fact. Jude is writing to both Jewish and Gentile Christians. And he's saying we have the same faith through the same Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what he wanted to write about was this common faith. But he says, I found it necessary to write appealing to you. So you see the strong language here so that you could contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. He changes the scope of what he's going to write because of this urgent need. What is this urgent need? False teachers were rising up within the church and his message was one to them of both warning and a charge to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. He says, for certain people, verse 4, have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. His 
message in the midst of these rising false teachers and false teachings within the church was to stand firm and to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. It's quite the introduction. He's getting straight to the point in this extremely short letter. And, and the question really kind of becomes, well, who are these false teachers and, and what are they teaching? He, he says that they are ungodly people who are perverting the message of the gospel. And because of that, they are denying the very deity of Jesus Christ. We face this every day in our society. See, although Jude was writing probably in the mid-60s A.D., the very same issues are still here today. And he is urging these brothers and these sisters to contend for the faith, to contend for the truth of the gospel of Christ. And he says that these people who are shedding, sharing this message are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into what? Sensuality. He's basically saying that what they're doing is they're taking the gospel message of Christ and they're making it fit into their life, into their schemes, into their pleasure boxes, if you will. A place where they can find hope and, and feel their desires met. Not what God is and who God is and what God wants. But how can we twist and, and pervert this message to fit what we want? And in so doing, he's saying that they're denying the very deity of the master and our Lord Jesus Christ. See, when we begin to twist the scriptures and we begin to say that the Bible teaches what we want it to say instead of what it actually is teaching, we're doing this very same thing. But you want to know what's scary? Back to the beginning of verse 4. He says, For certain people have what? Crept in unnoticed. In other words, they're probably making it sound much like the very message of the apostles. The little sprinkle of twisting here and a little dab of untruth there. He's not even saying these are people who blatantly disregard God. These are people who are using the name of God and the message of the gospel to get their way by just making a few modifications. And what seems as a horrendous thing to us when hearing that right now really just plays itself out in our own lives every day when we don't stand firm on the Word of God and we twist the Word of God to fit in our own systems. So as the people of God, you must not take a lazy approach to the Christian life. We must contend for the faith. We must be ready to go to battle, suited up with the armor of God, wielding its sword.
And the reality is, is that those who are teaching false teaching, there is judgment coming for them. See, Jude is writing, again, to both Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. And the reason that's important is because they would have been familiar with Old Testament teachings and traditions. And so what he does is he begins to unpack this by pointing to a few examples in the Old Testament that they would have been very much aware of. Verse 5, he says, Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. His first example of warning in the Old Testament was Egypt. This truth that God had saved his people from slavery in Egypt. And notice what he says, that Jesus did that. Now, timeline, Jesus has not been born yet. And the reason this is important is because it speaks to the very truth that Jesus is very God of very God. He has always existed. He is part of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This goes against the very uh, prominent teachings of many famous people today that says uh, that believe in something called modalism, that God had existed in three persons but not at the same time. That he was God the Father, then he became God the Son, and now he's God the Holy Spirit. Folks, that's heresy. The scripture clearly says that God exists for all time as a Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And he's reminding us that it's Jesus as God who saved his people out of the land of Egypt. Also pointing to the truth that it's Jesus who saved us. From the land of slavery, of sin. But it's also Jesus who afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. So, for those who trusted in God, that God would send a Messiah, that Messiah being Jesus, they were saved out of the land of Egypt. But for those who did not believe, they were destroyed. In other words, they, in failing to trust God, never saw the promised land. And, you know, many today, they twist the truth and they elevate themselves over God because they want their deepest desires met. So we begin to twist the word of God to fit what we want to believe in our hearts. And one example of this that we see in the example of Egypt really can be the prosperity gospel. They believed what they wanted to of God. They thought that if they confessed God enough, that God would bless them materialistically, that God would give them all of these great things. And one of the greatest problems in American Christianity, which is spread now worldwide, is this reality, the prosperity gospel. That if we do blank, that God will give us health, wealth, and prosperity. But folks, the New Testament, Jesus himself teaches time and time again that following Christ is not about that. Jesus himself, if anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross daily and follow me. Tell me where there's health, wealth, and prosperity in that. It's about following God and following Christ because he's worthy and he's good. 
Last week we closed with a reference to Narnia. This is actually not in my notes, so this is kind of off the cuff. But again, there's this part in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe where um, the Privacy kids are meeting, having dinner with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. And I know that sounds extremely odd, and it is, until you read the books, and that makes a lot of sense. But they're having a conversation with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, and Mr. Beaver gave the prophecy that we read last week. Wrongs will be right when Aslan comes in sight. That prophecy that we read at the very end. And then they were talking about who Aslan was, and and Lucy asked, well, who is Aslan? And, And Mr. Beaver alludes to him being a lion. And the comment was made, Is he safe? And Mr. Beaver says, of course he isn't safe, but he's good and he's the king. And there's this beautiful picture of Jesus in there to know that he is both a savior and a judge. And when we begin to pervert the gospel, we lose sight of who he is. See, the gospel is about pursuing him, trusting him, knowing that he will care for his We simply can't fit Jesus into our life so it's convenient for you and expect him to be okay with that. And that's a lot of what the prosperity gospel does. If you ever have time, I would encourage you to look up John Piper's little blip on the prosperity gospel on YouTube and watch it. It's just a few minutes. It's a clip and it will really enlighten you to the dangers here. But also, there's a new documentary out called American Gospel that I would highly encourage everyone to watch as it exposes some of this across the spectrum. But we can't just simply make Jesus be who we want him to be and fit him in when we want him to be fit in and expect him to be okay with that because he himself says that he is a jealous God. We're not talking about another person here. We're talking about God Almighty. And so he gives Egypt as one of the examples. He goes on to verse 6. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Of course, here he is referring to fallen angels who had rebelled against God. God had created with a particular order with particular roles to play. And these angels, rejecting his design, rebelled against him. They didn't want to do what God wanted them to do. They didn't want to be who God wanted them to be. They wanted to define their own life by their own terms and make their own rules. And today, many rebel against God's created order in in much of the same way, elevating our desires, man's desires, over God's design. see examples of this in the rise of feminism and the social justice movement. Terms, critical race theory and intersectionality and and the the argument between complementarianism and egalitarianism are all arguing against God's created order. See, at the end of the day, folks, we can't use secular labels and secular systems to interpret the Word of God. The Word of God must be the foundation 
And so we must listen to the word of God. Because if we say that we believe that it's inerrant, inspired, infallible, and sufficient for all of life, then that's what we believe. There are no asterisks there. It's not, it's only sufficient in these cases. But in these cases, uh, we need to use these other terms to define things. God is all-knowing, and God is all-wise. He gives a third example. Verse 7. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, they serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. The third example is of Sodom Gomorrah, and the surrounding cities. Genesis clearly teaches that these had given themselves others, uh, over to the passions of the flesh. They had given themselves to sexual immorality. They had pursued unnatural desires. They had elevated themselves to God. And their appeasement as God was sexual desire and self-pleasure. They had created idols of themselves, and God, again, does not play that game. Commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. If you will, hold your finger in Jude, flip to Romans chapter one. Examples that we find in this third example are the examples of homosexuality and inclusivism. That as long as we say we love Jesus, we can do whatever we want. Even if it goes against his word. That's not true. Romans chapter 1, let's start in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and His divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. In other words, we have no excuse to say that God is not there. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. In other words, even though we know God to be real, we don't honor Him as God. We don't give thanks to Him for all of the many gifts that He does give. But they get became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And they claim to be wise. In other words, claiming to know more than God. And in that, they became fools. Psalm says that the fool says in his heart there is no God. 
And in so doing, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They began to worship and serve creation over the creator. He goes on, verse 24. Therefore, so the result of that, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So for this reason, God gave them up, verse 26, to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Sodom, Gomorrah, and the cities surrounding faced great judgment because of their sin. Their sin of elevating themselves as God instead of submitting to the true one God. Jude not only gives us those examples, but then he goes a little further and he begins to give us a few characteristics of what these false teachers would look like. The first is that false teachers are blasphemers. Verse 8. Yet in like manner these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all they like, like unreasoning animals, understanding instinctively. In other words, they are rejecting the truth and the authority of God and His Word by relying on their selves, their dreams, their personal desires, rather than the Word of God. They are not listening to the apostles' teaching. They are twisting the truth to fit what they want it to be. And this lack of biblical understanding that they have comes from not knowing the word. So because of that lack of understanding, they begin to preach feelings and desires instead of the word of God. So instead of being orthodox in their teaching, instead of standing firm on the doctrines of God and his word, they begin to rely on orthopraxy and doing whatever they want to do however they so choose because that's what their heart wants. But folks, the word of God is supreme. It is our final authority on all matters. 
That was the fuel of the Protestant Reformation 500 years ago, sola scriptura, that the word of God is our ultimate and final authority. Folks, we need another reformation now. So many people are twisting the word of God to fit what they want. And if you don't believe me, turn on Christian television. Listen to the majority of the preachers that are being broadcast all across the world. Listen to their messages. And see if you hear the gospel Listen to hear if you hear them say that we are sinners desperately needing in the saving grace of Jesus Christ. False teachers twist truth for selfish gain. And they lead others into this guise because of the greed within them. And that greed plays into human desire. Verse 11. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. Jude uses a lot of these like alliterations, these stories to get his point across. But the reality of what he's saying here is that false teachers are not only blasphemers, they're not blaspheming only against God and his truth, but they're also extremely greedy. Do you know that who many would kind of dub as the father of the prosperity gospel movement? His name's Kenneth Copeland. He's worth over $700 million. And not long ago, people like Jesse Duplantis and Creflo Dollar were trying to raise over $60 million so they could buy a private jet to do the Lord's work. That's not the gospel. That's not the word of God. That's not taking up your cross daily and following him. And it doesn't take long to listen to these messages and see through if we look through the lens of Scripture. The problem is, is many of us don't look through the lens of Scripture. We don't know the Word of God enough. So when we hear it, it sounds good. And the reason it sounds good is because it plays to the very sinful nature of our hearts. I'd probably say every one of us in here want to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Right? But twisting the message of God's word to fit that and to use it for selfish gain? There's an individual who, he's a a pastor in Arizona. He's just released a new book not that long ago. His name is Costi Hinn. If that name sounds familiar, it's because his uncle is Benny Hinn, the famous prosperity preacher, faith healer. You've seen Benny Hinn. If you've watched any kind of TV, you've seen Benny Hinn. Costi worked for his uncle for years. He said that they would be on crusades, staying in hotel rooms, upwards of $20,000 a night. God saved Costi if several years ago and he is going to war against this twisted theology 
And in that documentary, American Gospel, that I referred to earlier, he, he uncovers a lot of the undercover horrible things that take place. False teachers are blasphemers. False teachers are greedy. And also, he says that false teachers are misleading. Look at verse 12. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts. And they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves. Waterless clouds swept along by winds. Fruitless trees in late autumn. Twice dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea casting upon the foam of their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Jude uses these pictures to re- reveal to us the deception of false teachers. Where we take something... We're in blueberry capital of the world right here, right? Have you ever picked out a blueberry that is just so beautiful and plump and luscious and you bite into it and it just crosses your eyes because it's disgusting? That's the nature of false teaching. We clothe heresy in this beautiful biblical language. It's simply leading people astray. If we don't become more passionate about knowing the word of God, when we hear these things, because we will, our world is inundated with it. If you pull up the top 10 Christian worship songs, if you pull up the top 10 Christian bestsellers, You name it. You pull these lists up. How much of that material is full of an anti-biblical message? One of the top-selling Christian books over the last year was, I can't even remember the girl's name. The book was called Girl, Wash Your Face. I don't remember her name. There's no Jesus in that. You can't wash your own face. In other words, you can't cleanse your own life from sin. Only God can do that. But in this world of a prosperity gospel and in this world of self-help ideologies... We are no different than what we read in Romans 1. Of although we knew God, we rejected Him as God. And these messages are appealing because they tickle our ears and they feed our sinful desires. You mean I can, I can still do that? And be okay with God? Without actually asking the word of God. 
remain ignorant to the truth of Scripture, false teachers are simply waiting, hiding under the surface to destroy us. There's another individual named Justin Peters who was born with cerebral palsy. The majority of the time he's in a wheelchair. He can get around some on crutches, but it's very obvious that he's labors in that. I've heard him tell stories of how Growing up, his family would hear these. He, he did not grow up in a Christian home. They would, they would hear these messages and attend these meetings to where he could get healed. And, and he recalls the first time they ever went was a lady. Again, I, I don't remember her name. I was not familiar with her, but apparently was a, pro, a prominent faith healer at the time was going to be in their area, so they went. And it was towards the end, and as they were making their way up, he said his dad noticed that she made con- eye contact with him and quickly turned as to leave. His dad run her down. Instead of doing what they do on the televised portion, they simply set him to the side in another area and said that he should, they should pray to be healed. In doing research, as he got older, he attended multiple faith healing crusades. I want to say he said 16 or 18 with Benny Hinn himself. And he said there was one instance in particular where he was making his way to sit down. Uh, they had you know, called people up or whatever, and he was making his way. And this individual came and was asking him what his ailment was. And Benny Hinn's brother comes up and whispers something into this gentleman's ear, and they move him to another section. And the reason is, is because he was obviously not going to be healed from cerebral palsy right then. So what he's saying is he's pointing to the tactics used and how they play off of emotion and adrenaline. But the people who are actually sick and who actually are hurting normally get set to the side or set to the back. When a preacher stands up and says, if you sow a seed of $100, you're going to get $1,000 in return. That plays into what we want, right? It's like buying a lottery ticket. A really expensive one. How do you think someone like Kenneth Copeland amassed $700 million? But notice what Jude says here in verse 14 and following. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones 
to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against. You think he's trying to get a point across? Verse 16, these are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. Jude is warning these Christians, like, you need to know the word so that you contend for the faith and that you can fight against these false teachings because they are leading many astray and they are likely to lead you astray if you're not careful. But for those who are leading the charge in false teaching, they will face judgment. Those who use God's name to build their own kingdoms and their own wealth, leading others astray and into despair, they will face harsh judgment. And so Jude gives his encouragement to the people that in the midst of all of this, persevere in the gospel. He's given this warning, this harsh warning to the false teachers, how they have crept in unnoticed because they had not been prepared. They were not studying to show themselves approved. And now he's moving on to the original purpose of his letter for them, the people of God, to be ready to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And he begins doing this by urging them to remember the gospel and the apostles' teaching, verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. He's saying, listen, this was told us. We, it's coming. It's here. But you need to be ready by knowing the word. In other words, he's reminding them, and it's the same message for us today. Hold fast to the Bible and be devoted to it. The word of God alone. And so I want to ask us the question, are we preparing our minds for action? Are we studying to show ourselves approved? Do we know anything of what the word of God actually says? Or do we just continue to share memes that have misquoted scripture verses? I've told you the story before. There's a prominent Christian school in this country that I've seen multiple times share. There's local Christian schools that I have seen share these things. And when you look at it, you're like, man, that sounds good. But that's not actually what the verse says. We need to know the word of God in order to be protected from this stuff. Husbands, are we reading the Word of God? Are we studying the Word of God so that we can protect our families? You've heard this before. This quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says, there is enough dust on some of your Bibles to write damnation with your fingers. Guys, we can't expect to just walk through this life claiming to know the Lord and acting as if everything is okay, never picking up the word of God, never studying the word of God and think that God is pleased with that. 
Now, what I want you to hear on the backside of that is we don't do these things so that God will save us. We do these things because God has saved us. If you're here and you have given your life to the Lord, if you have surrendered yourself to him, you're trusting him to save you from your sins, your desire should be to know him and to keep other people from falling away. This is a call to persevere in the true gospel message. And we can only do that when we know the gospel message, when we know the word of God. Know the word. Hold fast to the word of God. But not only that, he goes on to encourage and urge believers to avoid false teachers. Look at verse 19. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. And he's urging them to to avoid these individuals because they are devoid of godliness. There is no true godliness in them. So much of what is considered... And welcomed as popular Christian messages today does nothing but lead people astray from the Christ they say they're proclaiming. All the while condemning their souls to hell. But the people of God can press on and we can persevere in the faith. We see in verses 20 and 21 by building ourselves up in faith and keeping ourselves in the love of God. You don't know the word of God by osmosis, right? I'm sure Jordan has used this. Every person in school has heard a teacher say something like this before. You can't just sleep on a book and expect to learn it all. It takes work to study the word of God. In other words, we are to pursue holiness by studying the word, by being devoted to prayer, by being engaged in worship and belonging to the church. God didn't just say, here's the Bible, now figure out what to do. He tells us how to live, how to exist, how be able to serve him in such a way that he receives glory and we receive the most joy. You know, the last thing I want you to hear this morning is, man, I better start reading my Bible or God's going to hate me. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. But what I want you to understand is if you have truly been transformed by the saving work of God in Jesus, then you will desire to know him. And you're going to do everything within your power to do that. Husbands, before you married your wife, do you remember how hard you pursued her? Are you given that same zeal towards knowing the Lord? Are we leading our families to know the Lord? (laughs) 
God gives us a design to follow. Are we willing to submit to Him and to surrender to Him? See, now that we're exposed to the reality of false teachers and their characteristics, and we've been given encouragement and instruction to persevere in the gospel, He now calls believers to be merciful to those who are doubting. Verse 22. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. False teaching leads many astray, so Christians are to show mercy by preaching the truth. And you might be saying, but wait a minute, you're saying we're to continue for the faith, but we're to be merciful. Yet sometimes mercy is a difficult thing to do. Sometimes it means doing what is difficult, which is preaching against false teaching and heresy in order to awaken the truth in the hearts and lives of the people. How do we do that? Verse 23 says, save others by snatching them out of the fire. He doesn't say, come along and coddle. He says, snatch them out of the fire. Why? Because they're being misled by these false messages, by these twisted gospels. And because of that, they're so close to judgment. And they say, and listen, you better reach in. You better snatch them out of the fire before it's too late. And here's the truth. You're likely to get burned. But we have a great responsibility nonetheless. You have friends that don't know the Lord. Maybe God has placed you in their life to tell them the message of the gospel. Maybe you're here today and you don't know the Lord. You've been just playing this game, thinking everything's good, everything's going to work out, God's going to bless. You need to repent before it's too late. We have a great responsibility. God has not saved us for us, unlike many popular messages. God has saved us for His glory to do the work of building His kingdom. I love what Robbie Gallaty says. He said, the gospel came to you because it was going to somebody else. We need to dethrone ourselves a little bit sometimes. Lastly, Jude offers a doxology. Verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. 
He is reminding us that God is all-powerful and that He is worthy of our trust. And He is that because He not only saves you and me, but He keeps you and me. So when we trust in the saving work of God, we are saved, secure, period. To God be the glory, great things He has done. So again, our hope for this year is for each of you to become passionate in your pursuit of Christ. Prioritize the reading of God's word, the study of God's word. Maybe you say, I don't even know where to start. Pick John. Start in John. Just start somewhere. Maybe not Leviticus or Numbers because you might not make it very far, but start in John. Prioritize reading the Word of God. Prioritize worship with your church family. Do these things so we're not misled by false teachers. And we hope to be able to help you with that this year in a few specific ways. Here in in about a month, we're going to be wrapping up our spiritual disciplines of the Christian life study on Wednesdays. And we're going to be coming together, men and women, to begin our study on the foundations of the faith. To help us understand more of what we believe. What does the Bible teach about God, about us, how we respond to God, how we live, who is Jesus We're going to give a catechism every week that you can use in your worship at home. It'll be on the bulletin and you can take it home. And it's a simple question with a simple answer that you can use throughout the week to memorize these things. You know, traditionally in the Christian church, this was like a prerequisite before you could be baptized and become part of a church. To be able to to respond uh, in a catechism, to be able to recite a catechism. And I know that sounds weird, like, well, what is that term? It's simply question and answers. That's all it is. It's my only hope in life and death. Jesus. Learning these things. And we're going to give you that. You're not going to have to come up with your own thing. We're going to put it on the bulletin for you so you can see it and you can take it home and cut it off and tape it to your bathroom mirror, however you want to do it. Let's do this thing together so we can know more about who God is and what God's word teaches. We'll provide books occasionally and references occasionally. There are going to be other things that we can do, but ultimately what we have to understand is that we have to put in the work. I can't make you read your Bible. I could barely make myself read my Bible at times. I understand it's hard and I understand that life gets busy and hectic and time is fleeting. But this is worth it. This is eternity. This is why God has created you and me to be here, to be his mouthpiece, to proclaim his gospel to the very ends of the earth so that people may be snatched out of the fire. So may we contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints this year. You're going to be hated for it at times. People are going to disagree with you. I would just simply give you this encouragement. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to life. Let's pray. Our Father, may you grip our hearts 
May we study to show ourselves approved. May we become passionate pursuers of Jesus. And may you protect our hearts from the ungodliness that abounds. And may we live by your grace for your glory. Father, for those who are here that have not trusted in Jesus, may you work on their hearts. May they come forward to repent of their sin and trust in For those of us who have just simply gotten slack in our faith, may we be reinvigorated with a desire to know you more. God, would you work in Christ's name. Amen.